0: we began building on this foundation last Sunday that we find Christians typically live their lives in one of three ways as believers as disciples a disciple is also a believer but a disciple goes a little further and then of select few are apostles and the thrust of last week's message was that uh, while every disciple is a believer not every believer is a disciple. And that's kind of what we explored last week. Jesus didn't call us to just believe. In fact, in the book of James, uh, James says, hey, even demons believe. Jesus called us on. He called us to believe in discipleship, to actually follow him, not just know what he said and what he did, but to live a life like his. And last Sunday afternoon, I asked Sharon, I said, Sharon, did, did this come across? Was I able to communicate it well? And she said it was probably understood by people that spoke Christianese, but maybe it was a little uh, fuzzier for people that, that didn't, or people that are new to the faith, or people that are still kind of processing this thought of, what happens to me if I decide to follow Jesus? So after listening to her wise counsel, as I always do, I'm coming back to this, this portion of our subject for a few minutes as we begin. So we wanna talk about believing. And I I thought about this all week long and I thought about, you know, what what makes us believe? How do we come to accept something as as true? And it occurred to me that, that when we take in information, somewhere in the back of our mind, somewhere in our subconscious, a belief is formed. And it says, do I believe it's true or do I believe it's false? This new information that I've just taken in, is it reliable or is it unreliable? Which is it? What is it? Will I accept it and call it true? Will I deny it and call it false? Or will I simply ignore it altogether? I don't care. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. But even if I decide to ignore it, I've still made a decision. For example, let's say you wake up uh, tomorrow morning at 5.30, the alarm goes off and you have a radio station playing and they say, there's a six mile backup on the interstate. I know, it doesn't happen here, right? Never happens. But this particular route, you have an important meeting that you've got to be at, at 8 a.m. sharp. You have to make a decision. Do I believe the report or do I not? Because we know how reliable newscasts are in our valley. We eh, got about a 50-50 shot. You know, they were wrong last time. I'm not gonna take their word for it this time. Or do you just ignore it? I'll just get on the freeway and take my chances. There are other times when we take in information there are times when we call something true because we want it to be true. Or we will call something false because we want it to be false. For example, it is no secret to you, and my apologies to Doug Johnson, but I can't stand Boise State football. Absolutely cannot, yep, it's true. I can't stand it. See, at times we say something is false because we want it to be false. And please, for the sake of my eternal soul, do not ask me what I think of blue turf. Because I'll tell you, it's not pretty. But see, my feelings and my opinions toward Boise State football don't diminish the truth, do they? That among small markets, lower division teams that play a substandard schedule against mediocre opponents, they are great. I don't have to. See, see <laughs> our opinions and our feelings and our wants cannot determine what is true and what is false. Just because I want it to be true doesn't make it true. Just because I want it to be false doesn't make it false. And ignoring it, eh, that's in its own category. Our feelings, our opinions, our emotions, our wants, they just cloud our judgment. Besides, the truth doesn't need my opinion to validate it. Truth is truth. And when it comes to the person of Jesus, the one who had the guts and the authority to say, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Making that kind of a statement, it forces us, forces me, forces you, not into another one of those million decisions of day, you know, those mundane decisions, do we have fries or tots. It forces us into a very wide awake decision. What do I do with Jesus? Because he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Do I accept this? Do I deny it? Or do I ignore it? And it's so interesting in the Gospels how surrounding Jesus were those who accepted the truth and believed. There were religious leaders who denied and plotted against it and against him. And then there were people like Pilate who wanted, above everything else, to just be rid of it, to ignore it. But as the religious leaders would go on to learn, denying the truth doesn't make it any less true. He proved them wrong. At some point, you and I, in fact, everybody who has ever lived since Jesus' birth and death and resurrection, has had to make a decision about Jesus, has had to decide now, the good news. Fortunately for you and me, each and every day that we live, up to that point of making a decision, a decision about what we're going to do with Jesus, we experience grace. And this is what I mean. God gives us, in this time of our decision, Whatever it takes, from the day that we are born to the day we hear the message to whenever we make that decision, God gives us grace. He gives us permission to think about it. He gives us kindness that we don't deserve in this interim period of us making a decision. And in our theology, we call this prevenient grace. It is God's kindness to us. When we are still strangers, when we still have not quite accepted the message of Jesus, He's still kind to us. You know how I know this? How do you feel when an infant smiles at you? How do you feel when your child begins to walk? And we could go item by item by item by item throughout our life to see God's grace to us revealed. And this happens for our unbelieving neighbors as well. God's kindness is shown to them even though they have not come to a point of belief. It's the grace that goes before believing. Our God, contrary to popular belief, doesn't say believe or else. That's not our God. Our God doesn't threaten. Our God doesn't intimidate. He waits for us. In fact, it is so amazing that His grace and His offer of forgiveness and renewal stands until our last breath, until our life is over, Until we're on the other side of death and entering eternity, either with or without him. The Apostle Peter apparently was being bothered by some questions from the early Christians. And they they were really agitated and anxious. They were asking why it was taking so long for Jesus to return. Because he said he was coming again. Well, when's he coming? This is how Peter answered. He said the Lord is not slow concerning his promise as some regard slowness but is being patient towards you. Now if you were the one asking the question well, well why is he being patient? This is what Peter says. Because he does not wish for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. Our God our God's hope for you specifically, you specifically, is that you will hear the message, hear the truth, acknowledge the truth, and accept the truth. This grace of his is so mysterious that even if we say no, even if we deny it, even if we choose to ignore him, it does not change his position toward us. He keeps waiting. And he keeps extending grace to us. And by the way, just so, just so we're clear on this, there is nothing that you have done that he will not forgive. God's hope is you will hear the truth, acknowledge the truth, accept the truth, and then live and walk in the truth. Again, believing is... An incredible step. And when we believe, we are given the gift of his Holy Spirit that invades us. And he helps us discern right from wrong, truth from the lie. But the point is, why believe if you're not going to live like you do? Remember that traffic report? So you heard the traffic report, you believe the traffic report, you knew it's going to cost you time, why would you take the same route to work? It would just simply be foolish, wouldn't it? You go a different way when you believe the truth. There has to come a point of believing when the truth changes the way you live. We can't be a disciple if we know the truth, know how we should live, yet refuse to live that way. We can't keep on living like we don't know it. We mentioned this last week from C.S. Lewis. If conversion to Christianity makes no improvement in a man's outward actions, if he continues to be just as snobbish or spiteful or envious as he was before, then I think we must suspect that his conversion was largely imaginary. When we talk about belief, we often talk about bowing our knee to Jesus. And you see this on a lot of TV shows or uh, medieval mysteries and things like that. When they approach the king, what do they do? They kneel. They kneel before the authority. And when we come to an altar and we kneel, it's a metaphor for kind of the same thing. Jesus, you are truth. You have the truth. You help me discern truth. I do not have the truth, but I'm seeking the truth. You are the authority. You distinguish right from wrong. But discipleship takes this a step further. Discipleship... committing yourself then to this truth not just believing but committing yourself to that you're saying Jesus I don't want to just know the truth I want to live by it I want to follow your example I want to hear your voice clearly and I'll do whatever is necessary whatever it costs I will obey In John chapter 8, Jesus told his traveling friends, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then this phrase that the world has co-opted so many times, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We hear that all over our world, don't we? But they sure lifted it out of context. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, as my disciples, you will know the truth. the truth will set you free. Now, if if you're investigating Jesus, the Christian faith, or even if you feel like you believe, but you're just kind of stuck in neutral and can't seem to to move forward, uh, I, I want you to consider a couple of essentials. First one is, when you are confronted with the truth, when you have heard the gospel message, a decision has to be made. Have you made it? Or are you in that great gray area of I I come to church, I hear it, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. But when you hear the truth, you've got to make a decision. And if you've come to the point of making a decision, accepting the truth means that you have to live a new way, a different way. And I want you to hear me really clearly as I say this. There's incredible joy in living for Jesus. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not a buzzkill. Living for Jesus does not in any way impede your capacity to have fun. It's just that you are able to view life from an entirely different perspective. Why? Because you're a disciple. And now you know the truth, and the truth has set you free. You don't see things the same way. He gives you a new outlook at what real life really is. Different things are going to matter to you. The poor neighbor across the street who you could have cared less about could not have cared less about suddenly matters. I got an email from the mayor's secretary this week about a lady with seven kids whose husband has left her, left her last August. And the mayor's secretary calls our church. They know us collectively have proven that broken people matter to us. We're trying to live like disciples. We see the world differently. Certain things matter more. As disciples, we crave richer food and better things. True acceptance, true belief, true faith... Are proven by how we live in obedience to the authority. How well we obey Jesus and what he has called us to do, asked us to do. How he has been our example and now he is our pattern and we are trying to live that way. How we're to love people and how our love in action produces his fruit. Every disciple is a believer. But not every believer is a disciple. A lot of times in the Bible, the authors will use a metaphor. And there's all kinds of different writers, and they all kind of come back once in a while to this same metaphor. And they use the illustration of a cup. A simple drinking cup. In the cup, it's kind of a metaphor for your life. And a cup, when it's used for its intended purpose, is filled with something. And I think that's why the writers use that as a metaphor. See, our lives are not intended to be an empty cup, we're going to fill it with something. And the question becomes, you know, who will fill it and what will they fill it with? I am not the only person in this room this morning who for years and years and years filled their cup full of manure. Am I? And at some point, at a specific point, at a glorious point, God helped me deal with it and he took it. And sometimes Sharon will will use this, this illustration. If life is a cup, if your life is an empty cup and you are desperately thirsty and you find this crystal clear creek of the purest water, belief is like dipping your cup into the stream and it coming out full. You see this water, you know it is good. It's going to be so refreshing, and you take it out. But a disciple has found the fullness of God so incredible, so much more fulfilling than than simply belief that their cup is totally immersed in the stream. Think of yourself with a paper cup. Your life is that paper cup you can either use it to dip something out of the stream or you can go full on. You can fill that cup and then you can let it go. And where the water takes it, where the stream carries it, you have no idea. But see, the stream is connected to a certain source. A certain source of life. And you are sitting in a room this morning with a number of families that have done exactly that. They put everything on the line because discipleship called for that and their trust in God was that great and their faith was that deep. Letting that cup go, they didn't just just taste the water. They have jumped into the water. And even today, the water is carrying them in their discipleship path. They've given themselves over to it. And you never know where a path of discipleship might take you. 20 years ago, we could not envision ourselves here. We are so thankful that we are. As you trust the truth, You experience the certain reality that the truth will set you free. And then you've got to, you've got to, you've got to commit to being a disciple. And if you're ready to go from belief to discipleship, God is ready for you, He is ready for us. And as we've looked, that's His hope, He's waiting. But because he is truth, he also wants you to know that the cost of discipleship is pretty high. On Jesus' way to Jerusalem, on the last week of his life, there were some Greek people that wanted to, to have a conversation with Jesus, so they talked to some of his, his disciples, and they brought these men to Jesus, and Jesus said, you know, I'm really you know, pretty consumed right now. I'm pretty busy. And this, this came out of their conversation. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's kind of Bible-coded, and it means it's time for all these prophecies about my, my death and resurrection to be fulfilled. He said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. In my own life, because it's the one that I know so well, I had to reach a point of decision where I was willing to abandon everything I had except for my, my family. I left a career. I left the arm twisting that came with leaving a career and the offer of more money. A week and a half into our new position at the Salem Free Methodist Church was offered another job in the same industry that I had come from. But no. No. We have to abandon this thing that we believe is so essential and so important and and it makes up so much of our very nature. We have got to step into an area where God redefines our nature. Where we put God on the line and either God comes through or, or we are lost. That's exactly where he wants us. We have to abandon our old life. We, we have to let that life die in order to live a new life, a better life, a richer life, a life with more fun, a life with greater fulfillment, and a life that carries on beyond our earthly death. What an exchange. If we abandon this life, He'll give us something better. He will give us something better. Belief. Discipleship. Similar, yet very different. Some people see the claims of Christ in the gospel. Yep, I believe it. Well, are you going to follow it then? Nah, I'm not getting on that ride. You don't know what you're missing. You have no idea what you're missing. Remember, you can believe. That doesn't make you a disciple. And as we continue talking about discipleship, Sharon will uh, uh, take the wheel next Sunday and... And interject a a Mother's Day theme along with this so uh, I hope you're here hope you bring your mom if you don't have a mom to bring hope you remember her fondly pray Father God for my brothers and sisters I pray that you would lead us into deeper discipleship wherever we find ourselves on this pathway God would you take us deeper deeper into the love of Jesus, deeper into the brokenness of our world where we are to be your hands and feet. May you give us greater capacity for mercy and a greater desire to do your will. You promised, Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. And you have said now that in believers the Holy Spirit has taken residence. He lives in us. So God, we are asking him as individuals and as a church body that you ask him to rev his engine and accelerate us. God, give us the desire Give us the desire. Father, I pray that you would give us a desire for prayer, a deeper desire to spend time in your word. Father, that we would not rely on podcasts or radio or television to provide discipleship, but your Holy Spirit in our brothers and sisters in Christ would do that. God we know that we are not asking for something that is too hard for you to do. In fact, we believe that it pleases you to no end. So God, we pray that you would you would make it so. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the grace that was patient with us before we came to that point of acceptance and belief. And as we're on this path of discipleship. God, for all these beautiful, beautiful things that you do. We give you thanks. And we come to this table this morning, Father. We look at the sacrifice of Jesus. And how he talked about one life would need to die. But it would reproduce many God, may we contemplate that this morning as we, as we take the bread and the cup. Father, may our, our cup, our life, stand in tribute to you and you alone. And we pray this in your name. Amen.